0: Absolutely, it depends on the uh, cor of the flagstick. So the co vision restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. All
1: right, welcome back to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host Dan. I got an awesome guest today. I got Brian Mogg from the PGA Tour Latino America joining us. He's out in Seattle on West Coast time I'm snowed in here and uh, we're gonna kind of shoot the breeze for the next hour show Brian what's going on
0: not much happy to be here happy to be on the podcast big fan let's do this
1: yeah so g- give me I guess right off the bat people might not be super familiar with you paying on the you know PJ Tour Latino America but you had a really uh, solid Division one golfing career at Washington State University give me a li- and you come from kind of a pretty solid pedigree of of golfing family how did you get into the game let's get that stuff out of the way first
0: all right so for those of you who don't know my uncle played golf on the pj tour my dad also played at washington state university i grew up playing baseball and basketball like i always grew up wanting to be ken griffey jr he was my idol that's why i'm left-handed because of him so i grew up playing a bunch of sports and golf's kind of always been in the family and so, you know, I had play a few junior tournaments here and there, but I wasn't like super focused on it. And then when I was like 12, I just started to love golf and became super passionate about it. And I told all my buddies, I was like, hey, I'm not going to play. come back and play select baseball this year, or basketball. Like, I'm done. Like, I want to play golf. And they were just like, dude, you're crazy. You're crazy. You're an idiot. And next thing you know, I, I was able to get a Division One scholarship to play at Washington State. And so I think it's a lot of things like, you know, it's it's been in the family. My uncle has definitely like seen him play PGA or play Champions Tour events and stuff like that is definitely like, you know, that's that's kind of what got me into it. Um, so definitely like family family stuff for sure is why why I'd say I love this game so much and they never forced me into it or anything. I just kind of saw how much they loved it and I became a big fan.
1: So you weren't one of those kids that, you know, dad had you at the country club every single weekend, lessons, you know, out the butt, uh, wasn't allowed to play anything else. You played everything growing up. I love that. Like, that's how that's how being a kid should be in sports, you know?
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I I always think back to this moment. It's pretty funny. Some of my best friends at the time that I played baseball with, when I was going into ninth grade, I told him, I'm like, Like I made this select team like I was always I don't want to like brag, but I was always like one of the better players on my team. And they're like, why aren't you coming back to play baseball? Like they came over to my house to try to talk me into playing baseball. And I was like, guys, you guys don't get it. I just love golf so much. And I wasn't even that good at golf at the time. That's what the funny thing was. Like I was just another dude who was playing golf. And then over that next year, I got pretty good. And so, like, like, my parents, like, never forced me into it. Like, my dad was always, like, he, he was always willing to help, like, drop me off at the course, give me money to buy a bucket of balls. And it just kind of turned into a thing where dad would pick me up after school. He would take me to the course. He'd give me enough for a large bucket of balls. I'd hit balls for an hour, and then I still had three hours till it was dark. So I would just chip and putt until it was dark, and that was my day, and I loved it, even if it was raining
1: and being from Seattle you guys get a lot of that up there.
0: Oh, it's it's brutal. So I spent this last year in Arizona in the winter time and like Arizona winters are amazing. Seattle winters I didn't even think were bad until I moved to Arizona. And like so so being back for these last few weeks like it's been 25 degrees outside, which that's colder than normal. Normally it's 45 and rainy. Um but the Seattle winners not aren't, aren't ideal if you're a golfer. So that's why I'm in Arizona. Yeah right now,
1: so no I, I get that 100. percent We had our first ice storm. We're supposed to get like six more inches of snow, probably delayed oh. you know for the kids tomorrow. So I get it. My clubs, I'm getting brand new clubs coming in from Spargo golf and it's like custom stamps and everything like I'm so yep. psyched and I'm not gonna be able to do anything with them for you know, God knows I, how long. Um, yeah, but
0: it's gonna make it that much better once the weather warms up, though. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, that's what I tell myself anyway. You know, <laughs> see if that actually happens. So I heard the story that Earl Woods actually wrote your dad a letter of rec when he went to uh, apply for being the coach of, the, of U of W. That's a true
0: story. So, so let me let me backtrack a little bit and tell you a little bit more of a story. So my dad used to run the Pacific Northwest Golf Association. And every year there's the Pacific Northwest men's am. It's one of I don't I wouldn't say like the premier am event in, in the country, but it's it's like a top amateur event. Like guys will come from Florida or wherever to play in it. And Tiger wanted to play in the Pacific Northwest men's golf amateur. And my dad picked up Tiger from the airport, Tiger and his dad, when Tiger was 19 or i don't know exactly how old he was and my dad basically hosted tiger and earl while he came and played this event and the event was at royal oaks which is like vancouver washington down by portland and so my dad just spent a lot of time with tiger and earl and he got a witness tiger before he was tiger woods and so which that's pretty cool and my dad got to interview him there's there's a picture in I think it's Northwest golfer magazine of my dad literally sitting down with tiger and Earl, which is like, that's crazy. And so my dad kind of had a little bit of a relationship and obviously, you know, doesn't know tiger at all anymore, but, uh, but yeah, so my dad got to do that, which is pretty cool. And so Earl wrote a little bit of a recommendation letter when my dad applied to get the, the UW uh, men's, coaching job he didn't end up getting it but yeah long story short that's what happened which is crazy
1: yeah that's pretty nuts i mean and, and because at 19 like tiger was kind of coming into his prowess like he was a usm champ uh at, at that point i believe right that was I, his first I think it was or he was going summer. to win yeah
0: that summer so right the NBA was before and then, like a month later, he won the USM. Yeah. Okay, okay gotcha.
1: His first of of three. So, well, yeah. I mean, that's now. Were you around him at the time at all, or no?
0: I don't. I I think I was so little that I don't remember. Him. Yeah.
1: Okay. That's what I kind of figured. I was
0: probably five or six, and I just or no, I was, no, I was younger than that. I was a year or two. So, okay.
1: I was going to say like a two or three year old kid, just like yeah. ah, some, some dude so here, it's
0: like, you don't, you know, I don't remember <laughs> it, but I wish, yeah, sure. I wish I was older. Cause that would be pretty cool.
1: All right. So, so you graduate, you play all four years at, uh, at Washington state university. And so at, at what point in time, this is what always fascinates me with pro athletes and stuff, especially golfers. What point in time do you realize that, you know what, like I, I could probably make a living out of this. Like, I think I'm gonna go gung ho, like f- guns ablaze, and and I'm gonna go after this. Is it is it after a certain round? Or are you sitting down the off season? Like, when does that occur?
0: Well, you know the things that it's kind of interesting with me. So I was, I would say I was your average Division One golfer. That's how I would grade my skills at that time.
1: So and give give the listener the for the people that listen to us that are only kind of that only think of golf in the pro game, right? In terms yeah. of the pro game, see what those people do. So what's an what's an average D1 golf? You're talking to someone that, you know, averages 73 to 75 on the season, 71 to 75?
0: Yeah, so so my scoring average in tournaments my so my sophomore year I broke my wrist. I was injured. I was trying to dunk a basketball. But so So my freshman year, I averaged 73.8. Junior year, I averaged, I think it was 74. And senior year, I averaged 73 again. And so, I mean, that's, we're playing, like, I would say a lot of the courses we played in college were as hard as some of these pro pro events I played, like, or harder. Because you're playing in bad weather, you're playing the tips, 7,200 yards, most of the time, bad weather, windy, whatever. And so, so yeah, I was shooting about 73. I mean, I guess to give a little bit more perspective, at our college home course, um, the course rating was like 75 or 76 from the tips. I tied the course record and shot 61. And most guys who've played Division one golf have a course record or something somewhere. And so that's, I was pretty average like I never won I was in contention a couple times but I never won in college I've actually been way closer to winning on the professional level than I have in at the college level but so that's kind of my college story I was very av- average I always wanted to play professionally and I was like I know I need to get better I need to figure out to hit driver straighter and I got to learn how to chip I couldn't chip ever until this last year and uh and I've just I've just gotten better. So it's kind of, I'm kind of an underdog story. I'm not someone who's like, oh, this guy's so good. He's going to make it. He's good. Like he could make it, you know? Um, And so, yeah, that's kind of how I got where I am today is like, it was kind of a hard, like I I wasn't sure if I wanted to turn pro my senior year. Like I I had some good events, but I also had some events where I couldn't keep driver on the map. And I was like, I got to get this figured out. And if I get this figured out, I'm turning pro. And then I kind of just said, all right, I'm going to commit to doing this. And, yep, that leaves me out where I'm at today.
1: And I, I think we need to kind of preface it by saying, for all the people out there that are listening, that hear Brian say, I shot 73, or 73 is my average. And then they start, the wheels start rolling in their head, and they go, hey, man, I shot 73 once before. I could probably do that. Like, no, you can't. Because you shot 73 from the white tees, at your course with no rough it was in Florida the weather was perfect you know you didn't count that breakfast ball you took your buddy gave you a three-footer like it, it's a completely different world I try to I try to let people know as best as I can like at you might be a good club golfer and you might even be good within your area circle yeah. of friends region of the country whatever it is but what these guys are doing even on the lowest levels of the pro tour is just astronomical. Like, it's not even the same game.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say... So, I got a bunch of... So, I play last summer. um, I came back to Seattle and I played it. It used to be known as TPC Snoqualmie Ridge. Now, it's the golf club at Snoqualmie Ridge. I play with a bunch of members who are scratch golfers. And I I usually play the blue blue tees with them. And last summer, the highest score I shot from the blue tees was two under 70. And so I'm, exactly. And, and I'm not even on the web.com or on the PJ tour yet, you know? And so that might give people a little bit of perspective because, you know, you got, you got your, your, your people who were like, Oh, he just shot 75 in a Provent. He's terrible. How did he do that? And it's like, dude, like you come get out here and you try to play. Like, yeah, I mean, you just don't have it. And I shot 75 of you. When you don't have it, you're 86. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, eighty-six and people are giving you putts because they feel bad for you and you're not taking proper drops and you yep. don't know stroke and distance. Like, it's just it's insane. It's a different world when you're out there and you're counting every single stroke. Like it strips you bare. It it shows your entire golfing soul. It's like walking around butt naked and having to show yep. everything you have, and you can't hide anything because you've got to put down whatever number of strokes on that scorecard, like, and it becomes cemented you know in the ether it's on the internet like you can't escape it you know and that's oh, a crazy feeling
0: no it, it is i mean it's it's definitely when you have you know sponsors or whoever who are like you know you need to play well like people have no idea what that's like and what are what professional golfers are dealing with at this starting stage or even even college golfers a lot of guys i know i know guys who played college golf who if they screwed up a hole they would get chewed out by their coach like like for example i got a pretty funny story i'm not going to name names but you could probably figure it out my <laughs> coach our freshman year we had this joke where if coach is with you and you laid up in the rough you were toast you were never going to hear the end of it and so anytime you'd hit driver down the middle you had to lay up on a par five you get laying up with a six iron or something you're just <laughs> thinking, don't screw this up. Because if coach sees you lay up in the rough, you're a goner. You're toast. <laughs> you're gonna hear it. And it's it's funny, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, those are all the those are all kind of the cool interactions that you have in college with college golf that you don't get when you're out on tour. I mean, the tour can be an extremely lonely place. Um, so I, I got a ton of questions about the PGA Tour Latino America because we've had Uh, LPGA pros, PGA tour pros, people that work for the USGA, like you name it on the podcast, but you, sir, have the distinction of being our first ever PGA tour Latino American. So to me, that's even crazy. And and it's closer. I don't know why, but it, it seems to me even crazier than like trying to go over for the challenge tour in Europe, you know, and trying to build your way up that way. Like even the challenge tour in Europe seems like a much more logical, um, stepping stone to professional golf. So my first question is, how did you get involved with PGA Tour Latino America? And by that, I mean, like, obviously, it's one level below the Corn Tour, right? Corn Ferry Tour. Yeah. Corn um, yeah. That, yeah, that and and PGA Tour China. So I'm assuming you're not going to China, and you're not going to try to qualify for that. So was this kind of the, the lesser of the two evils, uh, the Latino America?
0: Yeah, so, so basically the three developmental tours are China, Latin America, and Canada. And, you know, you need to go through, if you want to, I mean, kind of the route to the PGA Tour is through one of those tours. And I had just heard of PGA Tour Latin America. It was the first Q School option for me to play last year. And so I decided to sign up, and I was like, let's, let's see how this goes. I flew down to Brazil. We played the course where the Olympics were at. How many years ago was that? three four years ago five years ago yeah
1: uh three
0: so we played the olympic course and that was my first professional q school and i'm down in brazil it took me 24 hours to get down there because i bought the cheapest possible plane ticket (laughs) i had two eight-hour layovers one in el salvador and one in somewhere else i can't remember and i'm just stuck in this airport can't communicate with anyone it was brutal that was my start to the tour and then i get down there and I make a bunch of friends with guys who are playing the tour, because we all just want to find people we can talk to and hang out with, because I didn't know anyone going into it, and they didn't know anyone either. And yeah. yeah, long story short, ended up making it through Q School, and then had a very dramatic year. I got so many good stories, it's unbelievable.
1: Well, we're going to get into those uh, in a bit. But have you ever been to South America before? Never.
0: OK, Never. so I, I had been I, we went on a family cruise when I was younger, somewhere in Mexico. But that's the that's the closest I've been.
1: Right. Probably like an Acapulco place or something like that. That's basically like mini America.
0: Something Americanized. Yes. For right.
1: Sure. So the tour, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but the tour literally takes you to some places that people just would not venture to as far as tourist areas. Correct.
0: Oh, oh, yeah. yeah no idea. we we played an event in Argentina so the last three events of the season were in Argentina and played the event called the Termas Rio Honda Imitational and I can't remember the city but basically we fly into Buenos Aires then we have to catch an Uber to another airport that was an hour away and then we fly from that airport to the middle of nowhere and then we catch an hour bus ride into this town that honestly it looked like nobody lived there it was just absolutely nothing but there happened to be this really nice golf course and i get paired with these two argentinian guys and i ask him i'm like there's no way anybody plays here how does this place make money and he goes dude every argentinian knows this but it's literally drunk, drug laundering money okay and so I, like, I, I
1: yes that's <laughs> that, like that's what i envisioned the <laughs> Latino America to be. It's just these cartels and drug lords need to wash clean all this drug and blood money so they do it through golf. Yep.
0: It's <laughs> unbelievable. And I was like, are you guys kidding me? That's really goes, Yeah. 100%. There's literally nothing here. Like that, that is what is going on. Like the cartel uses it to launder money. It's like, that is, that is insane to me. Like I'm literally playing on cartel money right now at this super nice golf course. <laughs> uh,
1: all right. So, Uh, Gosh, I got like a million questions off of that. Um, So, okay, so in the U.S., we always hear, especially like as of of late, we hear um, on the border with Mexico, we hear all these cartels just brazenly going around, guns blazing, like shooting people up. I mean, there's cartels that literally have marked cars with the cartel's name on it, and they just drive through towns unimpeded. Um, So, like, for me, if I was someone, I'd be like, uh, I'm a little bit worried in an area like this. Did any of them, any of those courses or places that you drove through seem so sketchy that you were ever worried about life or limb?
0: Yeah, so we're, we're in Brazil, and me and two of my buddies decided we're going to save some money this week and we're going to rent an Airbnb. And so we're staying 30 minutes outside of the golf course. And let me preface by saying this golf course was super nice, and it had – it had, like, people, security standing outside with sawed-off machine guns. That's what the security was, to get into the golf course. And, and so that kind of told us a little bit about the area. Once you were inside the gates, you were fine. But outside wasn't safe. So we spend the first night in this, it was a pretty nice house, Airbnb, but it's, like, got walls all around it. It's got barbed wiring stuff. We didn't really, we didn't really look, we knew it was dangerous. South America is just dangerous compared to the U S. And so first, first day, me and my buddy are just, we just thought we'd just walk around the area. We were bored. And so we're walking around the area. We had to catch an Uber. So we had our golf clubs with us. And this lady comes running up to us saying, you guys need to get out of here. This isn't safe for you. You will get mugged with golf clubs. You guys are white Americans. And we're like, what they literally leave right now that's what she was saying to us and we're like oh my gosh i guess ignorance is bliss like we're (laughs) (laughs) and so we end up we end up ubering back to our place and we google sarakawa sarakawa Brazil, sao paulo and we find out it's one of the most dangerous cities in the world and we we start looking up all these stories of people getting murdered and we're like are you kidding me? Like, we are staying here. And from that point on, we never left the house unless we were going to the golf course. Yeah. But so we for- were just walking around like we didn't think anything was wrong. It was a nice 80 degree day. It was sunny. Like, we just kind of wanted to explore. But that was stupid.
1: For everybody that thinks being a pro golfer is all kind of sunshines and rainbows and, and unlimited Pro V1s and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's, no, we're all uh,
0: risking our lives yeah that, that's,
1: that's God that's the truth um, so how, how is the travel down there because you know like okay you get I have a few buddies that like caddy on the Corn Ferry tour right Yeah. know some guys that play out there so it, it's funny because they'll bitch and moan and be like ah oh, I gotta go from you know Poughkeepsie New York to, to Nebraska then I gotta go to Kansas then they got another event back in PA um, that sounds like nothing now listening to kind of you know your travels throughout south america so how how difficult is it for an american to travel down there and also how expensive is it to kind of keep up with the travel on tour
0: yeah so so traveling is tough i mean first off each event costs you about two grand so if you're going to make your money back you got to finish top 20 (laughs) or top 25 but uh so, so we have this term called the three-week freakouts, and by the end of your third week of being in Latin America, traveling around, you you will have a freakout. Everyone has a freakout, whether it's breaking a club or something, because <laughs> something, it just gets to you. I mean, with just having to deal with, one, the language barrier stuff, and then you're trying to catch Ubers, and every Uber ride you're in is, is sketchy, because... You don't know. I mean, it's just risky. You're supposed to not take taxis. we were told. So we stayed away from taxis unless we absolutely had to. And then half the time, Uber is actually illegal in these other countries. In Ecuador, we, we get pulled over because Uber is illegal. We didn't know this. And our Uber driver, <laughs> good thing my buddy Pat Flavin speaks Spanish. He says to my buddy, hey, you're my friends. If they ask, you're my friends. I picked you up from the airport. This is my name. And he told us a little bit about him. And we get pulled over and the cop is, I didn't know what the cop was saying because I don't know any Spanish, but my buddy was saying, the cop was like, who are these people? Do you know them? Like basically trying to figure out if he's driving Uber because if he drives Uber, we're all three toast. I don't know what would have happened to us, but I know that he would have been in big trouble and you just don't want to risk that in these other countries. And so just enough stuff like that, it wears on you. You're always having to get into sketchy Ubers, the hotels are very hit or miss. If you want to spend more money, you get a nice hotel. If you want to stay at a sketchy one, it's cheaper, but it's sketchy and it's just brutal. And then just always flying like you'll go, okay, we were in Argentina this week. Now the next event is in Jamaica. And it's just, oh, it's brutal. Just how much you travel. And then Monday practice round days, I almost don't even play on Mondays because I'm just tired from all the travel. And so the travel the travel's tough and it wears on you, but the the three week freak out is it's a real thing. I can't tell you how many guys have broken golf clubs that third week on the road.
1: It is. So what what was your three week freak out?
0: My three week freak out was, uh, (laughs) so I'm on the cut line and this probably had something to do with it. I'm on the cut line with three holes left. I got to play them one under one under on my last three. I'll make the cut on the number. At least that's what I thought at the time. And I would have ended up and I got a hundred yards into a back pin. If you missed the green long, it was just death. It was just absolutely screwed, but there wasn't much room behind the pin. So I tried to hit this like little flighted sand wedge into a back pin. I landed it like three feet past the pin and it hopped over the green and rolled like 30 yards long and it was just screwed. And I just, you know, I gave my club a nice little throw right at my golf bag it one hopped and it snapped and I was like nice I still have another week on the road and now I don't have a sand wedge and you can't get them fixed in these other countries yeah I was gonna say
1: there's there's no there's no tour reps out there right at the tournaments yeah the the pro shops aren't
0: stocked nope we had (laughs) one event one event that did have someone and that was big because my three iron just randomly broke it probably broke because I slammed it enough times but it didn't break when I slammed it, it just broke on the reins. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you've you've played obviously some some top amateur events and, and been around the pro game for a little bit. Um, aside from the money pumped into some of the bigger tours and stuff, what other differences do you see being out there on PGA Tour or Latino America as far as differences go from from some of the other pro tournaments?
0: Um one, I mean, the biggest difference is just the convenience of it. Like, it's not convenient. It's not a convenient tour to play. Canada, PJ Tour Canada, simple, easy. Like, you know, you're traveling to event, event, people speak English, no problems. Um, it's got to just be, the biggest difference is just the travel. I mean, honestly, the competition is good on any of the developmental tours. I mean, it's basically we played an event that there was a web.com event at the year before corn fairy now. And the cut for the corn fairy event was five under. And the cut for us was four under. Like it's, it's literally the same. Uh, the guy who I played with played in the corn fairy event there, he said it was literally the same. So the competition is just good. No matter what, you can't go out there and slap it around and expect to play well. Um, but I, the big the biggest is for sure just the travel and, just dealing with all that.
1: So how many countries have you been to now?
0: Mm-hmm. Seven this year. Cause I, okay. I was in for the first half of the season. Um, I injured my wrist, but seven. Yeah. I mean, that's, I that's a big travel the, schedule. It, it is. It's a lot. And I think if you played every event you went to, I think they hit, nine different countries
1: a few of the events gotcha. like
0: try to schedule them semi like we played three in a row in argentina
1: okay and but, now that tour split up correct aren't there like two seasons? doesn't see- it doesn't it yeah doesn't it break for uh, june july and august
0: yeah so Is that so correct there, there was no events june july august started back up in september but the, the, the season officially started, I think it was the first week of March. Okay. So it went so, March, April, May break, three months off, and then it picked up again, which is pretty nice, honestly. Like, I got to go home and spend the summer at home practicing and playing and seeing my family and friends, so that was nice.
1: Did you do any, um, any other mini tour pro events during the summer?
0: Yeah, I played, I played one Dakota's tour event at the end of summer before Latin started up, which Dakota's tour is a great tour. It's a very fun tour.
1: Is that kind of like, uh, like all those little Florida tours down there, like the Hooters tour used to be? Yep. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha.
0: Except it's in the middle of nowhere in North and South Dakota.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is a beautiful country.
0: Mm -hmm. No, it is. It is for sure. And it's, it's like, I'd say it's one of the more fun tours that actually has like, I mean, if you win that, win one of those events, you won like twenty five, twenty twenty thousand, and then it was like fifteen, ten. Like, there's good money in it.
1: That's some serious money for for the mini tours, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we have this joke. We call it the the Dakotas, uh, beer and chew tour. <laughs> everyone's drinking beer and everyone's chewing tobacco. It's hilarious.
1: I, I'm sure every one of the big cities that that are listening are kind of envisioning dudes with uh you know, uh, a dip pouch in or uh, oh. a tin in their back pocket of a, of a pair of jeans that's been worn through.
0: <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah, so funny. <laughs> so funny.
1: How are, uh, how are the crowds out at Latino America? Are there crowds? So the car- there, does the cartel keep them away?
0: No, so there are crowds depending on the event. Like the ones that are in the middle of nowhere aren't really many people. But it's funny. They set up the events like there's going to be thousands of people out there. So
1: everything's roped off.
0: Yep. Everything's <laughs> roped off. You need like a, a pass to get in and out. And then some of the events, there's no people. But like the last event we played of the season had grandstands. They had like suites on 18 and there were people everywhere. Like I hit, I hit a shot. I cut a flyer from the rough and I flew it into the crowd behind the green. So, like, <laughs> yeah. So like, I mean, there was a hole where if you made a hole in one, you got a car. And there was a ton of people out on that hole watching. So, it just depends on the event. Like, I love it when there are crowds. Um, but some events are just in the middle of nowhere, so there aren't people there. But, like, three or four of the events on the season, like, I mean, to them, we're literally, like, the best players in the world. They think of us like we think of PGA Tour players. It's, right. it's fun. So, like, we're kind of superstars. Like, kids after the round are always asking can you give me a golf ball can you sign a golf ball and like you know i'll sign a golf ball or whatever but it's just kind of funny because you know in my mind it's like i haven't made it yet i'm i'm still trying to get out there but to them like we are pj tour players it's funny
1: yeah it's all perspective right
0: no it really is it really is
1: you know you the the golf ball that you give to a kid it might be like uh you know, you hear uh, who was I think JT said once that like, you know, t- uh, no, not JT. Uh, Harold Varner the third has that whole story about Tiger not giving him the light of day. And and he waited for like an hour for an autograph. And he was yep. so pissed that he was pissed at Tiger. And then uh, he's like, I'm going to work so hard that I'm going to get on the PGA tour so I could tell him how mad I was. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then, you know, and you, could, you could you could my experience in the same thing. Like he doesn't want to always sign autographs and stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, but that's uh, no, that's a very cool experience. um What do you got in the bag right now for all of our club junkies out there listening? What are you playing,
0: club junkies? I'm ping all the way through.
1: Okay, gotcha. I mean, I
0: play, I've played them since high school. I played them in college. Like I've just been with ping since day one, and I wouldn't want to use any other clubs. Cool. I'm a, I'm a big ping fan, so.
1: Now, if you had, you know, let's say you said you broke a three iron and stuff like that, uh, you know, let's say a driver head snaps or shaft snaps while you're out on tour. Uh, do you have the luxury or ability to contact them and get one in the mail or because you're playing in South America, does that become kind of difficult?
0: Yeah, see, it's hard. Like, I, I, me and all the other players are <laughs> in the same boat, like, trying to get someone they'd have to get it to you like in the next week for the next event unless you broke it because most events we don't have more than three in a row and so okay. if you broke it in the first week there's a chance your club company whoever gives you clubs would be able to get it there in time i haven't ever broken one in the first week so i haven't even had that as an option possibly so usually if you break a club that's on you like you're playing without that club the next week which I usually try to bring a backup driver because if a driver ever broke, toast.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're screwed. That's what I was going to ask. I mean, how many how many clubs are you traveling with? Just your 14 and then your extra backup driver?
0: Yeah, so 14 backup driver. I don't really have any other backup clubs that I, okay. that I have. Sometimes I'll bring an extra putter just in case I want to tinker around with a different one. But I haven't broken any putters, but I haven't.
1: Well, yeah, knock, uh, knock on wood.
0: So, yeah, not yet. <laughs> uh,
1: has there any been, like, any travel problems with clubs and stuff? I mean, because, you know, guys going on buddies trips have their clubs rerouted different places. They don't make it off the plane. Have you had any of those issues or complications down there?
0: So, the only issue I've had is flying to the last event in Argentina uh, a few weeks ago. I pulled my clubs out. We flew some Argentinian airline that was terrible and pull my clubs out, and both the legs on my bag are literally chopped off. Like It's like (laughs) someone chopped them off, and I had powder in my golf bag. And we had no idea why there's powder. We don't even know what it is. That's the cartel sending you a message. Who knows? (laughs) And so literally, the whole next week, I had a caddy, and I had to tell him, like, hey, when you just walk up to a tee box and people are teeing off, you got to be careful not to just set it down. (laughs) Because <laughs> else the bag will just fall and slam in their backswing. And it was funny because he did it a couple times in the practice round. It took him a, lip, a little bit to learn. But it was, I literally had no legs on my golf bag. And the airline wouldn't reimburse me because there's some random Argentinian airline that didn't care. So Yeah. But that, that's uh, my only experience. I know guys have not had their clubs come for a few days so they couldn't play the practice rounds. But nothing crazy.
1: And, and what are you guys doing for caddies down there? I'm assuming you're not bringing your buddies along to no. caddy free, right? It's all locals.
0: It's local caddies. I usually <laughs> like, would wait to the weekend to get a caddy. Uh, just because, I mean, you pay them 50 bucks a day, which, I mean, doesn't sound like a lot. But when you're trying to use all your money for tournaments, like you got, like I'm trying to save it. But usually by the weekend, like, I'm like, all right, I want a caddy. Like, I'm going to make some extra money because I made the cut or whatever. And so I'll pick up a local caddy but local caddies are very hit or miss like you can get a great caddy or you can get one that's absolutely terrible and i have about 3 caddy stories that are hilarious
1: <laughs> both do tell
0: <laughs> so okay so the first one this is the one this is one that happened to me the other ones are stuff that happened to my buddies but so i'm i'm on the cut line with 3 holes left and I hit a seven iron, tough par three front pin. Probably should have hit six iron long, but I hit seven iron and it came up a yard short in the water. And my caddy looks at me and goes, "No birdies, no money for me, no food on the table for my family." I was like, (laughs) "I was like, are you?" I look at the guys (laughs) in my group heard it, and I'm and I'm already mad that I just hit it in the water because I'm probably gonna miss the cut now, and. We just started laughing because it was just, I I never would have expected to hear that from anyone ever, especially someone caddying. But to these guys, like, you know, if I give them $100 a day versus 50 bucks, like, that's a big deal. And I was just like, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I couldn't wait to tell people that story because it was hilarious. Like, what caddy says literally, like, you need to make birdies or my family's not eating. Like,
1: yeah, you didn't you didn't realize going into it that you were the sole provider of this guy's entire family.
0: Yep, yep. And uh, but so so this next story this might take the cake for every caddy story ever told. So my buddy is playing. This was in Jamaica. In Jamaica, he's got a fifty footer on the last hole for eagle. Okay, and if he makes it, he shoots sixty eight. He asks one of the caddies, one of the local caddies who was caddying for another guy in his group, hey, can you tend the pin? So the caddy goes to tend the pin. He hits his putt. It's tracking. About three feet out, he realizes the caddy hasn't pulled the pin yet. <laughs> the putt hits the pin and drops. And he goes, he was stunned. He, like, didn't know what to do. He's like, why didn't you pull it? Why didn't you pull that pin? And so they come running into the rules tent and i'm right and i'm right there and i'm like dude what just happened like are you kidding me like he's like super upset their group is like arguing and they talk to fernando who's the guy who does the scoring and the rule is if the caddy admits to purposely leaving the pin in there's no penalty on my buddy chase the caddy wouldn't admit to it because he knew <laughs> he'd probably get fired and my buddy gets a penalty so i think it was two stroke penalty so that means he would have shot 70, but then he has the rule is he gets a two stroke penalty, but he has to go back and reput the 50 footer. So he goes back and he three putts it. So instead of shooting 68, he shoots 72. And that's insane. Missing, and ends up missing the cut that week when he would have been in, after shooting 68, he probably would have been in the top 10. Ends up missing the cut and Literally, all the caddy had to do was take responsibility, but he wouldn't do it. And my buddy said he had never been that upset in his entire life.
1: Yeah, I'd Ever. be, I'd be pissed. I mean, good on the caddy for staying on brand, trying to leave the pin. I get it. Uh, good on yeah. you, caddy, wherever, <laughs> wherever you are. But that's that's nuts.
0: It was unbelievable. And the funny thing is, is these caddies, to them, they're just they're trying to make money and. He, the caddy thought, oh, this is a perfect opportunity to screw this other guy and not thinking that his playing partner would even care or his, his player would even care, even yeah. though obviously the player was just going to fire him the next day if you do that. <laughs> and it's like, are, are you kidding me? Who does that? Like, you don't even think about that ever as an option in the States. Like, it's funny.
1: Yeah, I'm guessing I'm guessing the amount of golf knowledge in these caddies is yep. uh, not that high.
0: It's not that high. They just <laughs> carry the bag, and you just hope you have a guy who doesn't smoke 100 packs of cigs a day and just doesn't talk. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it could be even worse if they were, like, employed by the cartel, and but they, all. you know— <laughs>
0: And they say, hey, like, if you don't shoot 68 today, like, the cartel's going to be waiting for you afterwards. <laughs> right. Yeah,
1: for sure. <laughs> Down in Sao Paulo.
0: <laughs> so funny. But that's,
1: uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's nuts because from talking with so many different people in the game, a- a- everyone kind of has their stories and complaints, but they're all on different levels. Yeah. Um, if you told these things to guys, like, on the Corn ferry Tour, I don't think they would ever complain again.
0: No. You know. Never.
1: Like the biggest Never. complaint out there is a lot of places they have these early tea times and the courses they play at don't serve breakfast. So like that's the yeah. number one pet peeve I hear from the corn tour guys is the fact that they don't get breakfast if they tee off at 7 a.m.
0: That is we deal with that every single week. Right. And if right. we do get breakfast, it's eggs that are like soup. They're like soupy. And you have to like drink them. It's the grossest oh. thing ever. Like you put some eggs on your plate and it goes over the whole plate because it's like soup. It's- <laughs> I mean,
1: I would assume that, you know, as you guys make your way up the rungs of professional golf, that this experience out on the Latino America Tour does nothing but just kind of harden you for other experiences to come. Like, I-, I don't think there's anything that could probably surprise you now on a golf no. course
0: literally, summer play. Literally nothing. I have seen it all or I've heard it all from right. other people. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these caddy stories, like, are unbelievable. Like, my buddy in Sao Paulo, who I'm staying with, he comes home, and he's dying to tell us what happened. And we're like, what happened? He, he had missed the cut by one, but he didn't even care that he missed the cut. He just wanted to tell us this funny story. And him and his whole group got three holes left. They're all on the cut line. On hole 16, he walks up, and he walked past the titleist too. He's like, "Yeah, hey, that's not my ball. Another 10 yards, he finds his ball. And the guy in his group goes hey, did you see a Titleist too? And my buddy Josh goes, yeah, we just walked past it. It's right there. They look back. There's no golf ball. My buddy Josh looks at his caddy. His caddy had picked up the ball, goes like this. He goes, shh, and then throws it into the bushes. He throws it into the bushes. And Josh just goes, oh, my gosh. Like, what the heck? Like, are you kidding me? Like, they had no idea what to do. Like, they had never seen that or witnessed that happening ever. Josh is like, Am I going to get a penalty? I have no idea. They had a rules official come out. There was this huge debacle. And basically, my buddy Josh didn't get a penalty because they just didn't really enforce it because Josh didn't even like know this caddy. Like, he doesn't speak English. It's not like it was his buddy on the back yeah. or something.
1: Oh, my God. That's just ins- like,
0: nuts. Oh, my gosh. And then, and then, uh, Jared Wolf told me this story. I don't know if you know that name, but he's been yep, a top yep. player on Latin America for a few years. I think he's bounced back between that and Corn Ferry. But he won in Jamaica last year and he paid his caddy like all the cash he had, like 800, 900 bucks. He just didn't have any more. And his caddy demands more money. And Jared's like, I can't. His caddy takes his clubs and hides them. He keeps his clubs hostage and says, give me more money. It's like, I literally can't. Like, I'll send you a check when I get home. I don't have any more money on me. And the caddy literally demanded more money and hides his clubs. He's hiding them hostage. You can't even get them. And there was this huge mess. I think he ended up sending him a check or something. But it's like, and the guy wasn't allowed the caddy out there anymore because he was just unbelievably just whatever but yeah the,
1: these are stories that need to be heard because like if this happened on corn Ferry or even like the mckenzie tour or the pga tour like it would be all over espn it and really social would. media
0: it would. yeah but but no one hears these stories because it's in latin america and they're not necessarily on camera or filmed and they're hilarious the, the best part is i mean i probably have a tenth of the amount of stories as some of the guys who've been playing out there for years. I only played basically half a season this year, a little more than half, and some of these guys have been playing for years.
1: <laughs> so, so what's your schedule will look like now as as we start to come into our winter months here in the U.S.?
0: Yeah, so I took I took all of this week off. I'm taking a uh, a little, or I took off last week off and taking a little bit of this week off, and then I'm signed up for Q school. That starts mid-January, so I'm going to start practicing again soon and then probably play a few mini-tour events in Arizona before Q School early January. And then from there, it's just go, 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 and see how the season goes.
1: Sweet. Um, so let's let's get off golf a little bit because you are uh, kind of a, 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 bur- a burgeoning uh, YouTuber, social media guy. If, if yes, people follow sir. you on Instagram – um, I, I think it's refreshing because people get to see that not every golfer, not every pro golfer is kind of button up, uptight um, and, and has to please everybody. You know, I guess my, my biggest pet peeve and I talk about this all the time is the fact that. If you're sponsored by a company, right, at like 11.59 a.m., a tweet will go out about how you love that company, right? And everybody yeah. else sponsored by that company has that same tweet or post that same picture on Instagram. And you, it, within the pro game, are just a breath of fresh air because you do your own damn thing, you know, with yep. your friends who I'm assuming, you know, have been with you forever, that you've grown mm-hmm. up with. Um, talk about that a little bit, how you kind of got into that prankster role
0: yeah yeah so so first off i always tell people like i'm not your average golfer i don't want to be your average golfer
1: for sure we have too many of them
0: there's too many just you know quiet respectful like you know they're just trying to be professional and it's like like i don't want golf to be like that and golf's trending away from that finally for sure because it's like you know what like just be yourself i know what you guys are like off the course like let's just just be yourself and you don't have to Put up this image anymore and so I guess so me and my best friend Cameron Yos, we have always done crazy stupid stuff and people have always told us like you know we put it on snapchat or whatever. they they're like you need to start a YouTube channel you need to like film this stuff and get it out there it's hilarious and it kind of started with so we used to do this thing this community college by my house we just decided one day like let's show up and let's sit in on a class and let's write down challenges. And you have to do these challenges in the classroom. And they are brutal. And so I get started off, we're sitting down in the back of the class, we wrote down these challenges before we went in. We don't know anyone in the class, we don't even go to the school. And uh, the first challenge I had to do was I had to go write, take notes on the whiteboard behind the teacher while the teacher (laughs) is teaching class. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, how am I going to pull this off? I'm just going to get kicked out. And so I get up and I make my move. And I start taking notes and the teacher's like, excuse me, what are you doing? And I'm like, All right, I got to come up with something good. And I was like, yeah, like I forgot my, I forgot my notes at home. Uh, I figured I'd write on the whiteboard because I think this will be helpful for the whole class. And he's just like, oh, wow. Like, thank you so much. That's really helpful. <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, wow, I pulled that one off. All right. And so, so then like the next challenge was, All right, Cam, you need to ask the teacher a question.
1: again all right people yet again i mean this is like uh this this might be a trend for the podcast the power goes out during these ice storms uh but we're back brian's here um so brian go ahead tell us the the second one with cam
0: all right so so cam's challenge that i made him do was he has to raise his hand to ask the teacher a question and whatever the teacher answers he has to say no that's wrong and then he had to make something up about how he's cam's right not the teacher and cam has no idea what the topic is so cam asks the teacher a question teacher responds cam goes no i think you're wrong here's why and i've never met someone as good at bsing as cam cam literally made stuff up and convinced the teacher that he was wrong and that cam was right and the teacher goes wow like i'm gonna go like look this up afterwards like that was really helpful like thank you (laughs) and this teacher's and then this teacher kind of starts to catch on he goes why haven't I seen you guys in class this whole, this whole quarter? Cause literally we, we came in towards the end of the semester and, and our, our response was, well, your class is like really easy. Like we just do the stuff <laughs> online and we ace all the tests. And this is where the teacher kind of like starts to catch on to us. And, and, and we basically stood up, we're like, yeah, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't like us, like we'll leave as long as you give us an A, just give us an A in the class and we'll, we'll get up and leave. And he goes, all right, I'll give you guys a B plus, just leave. And obviously he was kind of joking. So we end up leaving (laughs) in the whole class. As we're leaving the teacher, it was a sociology class. The teacher goes, all right, guys, let this just be a good social experiment. Like what they did, like, that's great. We can learn from this. And we're just cracking up as we're leaving. We're like, how did this not end bad? It ended up good.
1: Yeah, that's hilarious.
0: We filmed this. We had a bunch of people responding. Like, I can't believe you guys did this. And so from there, it just started like, let's go make YouTube videos. Like we had another another uh, thing that we posted that people were like, you need to make YouTube videos. We we went to L.A. and we decided, well, hold on. Let me tell the first part of the story. We raised money to go to L.A. by standing on the street, street performing, <laughs> doing stupid <laughs> stuff. So so our, our, both of our moms were like, you guys are idiots. You'll never make money just standing on the street trying to make money and this is how how much we think we're right and you guys are wrong we will literally match however much money you make and so we're like all right we make 200 bucks that's 600 let's go and so we we show up with a huge sign that says help us prove our moms wrong and then another sign that said five dollars to pie me in the face five dollars to throw eggs at cam and twenty dollars to slap cam on the face (laughs) <laughs> and so so we're just in downtown Seattle basically just making a scene. We've got like 20 30 people around us at all times cuz people just are entertained by what we're doing they think it's hilarious. And so I'm just getting pied in the face after pie in the face and it was stupid. You know, we had made like 50 bucks in like the first 30 minutes. And we're like this is working. This is this is working. This is hilarious. Cam got slapped in the face. I got eggs thrown at me like whatever. And then This guy comes up to us and he goes, I think what you guys are doing is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And I am a big fan. And he slips us a hundred dollar bill. And we're like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) He's like, are you kidding me? And so he gives us a hundred. We're like, dude, we've got like one hundred and fifty bucks. Like, oh, my gosh, that's one hundred and fifty from each of our moms, too they didn't think we'd make that much money we end up making like 250 bucks so both of our moms give us another 250 we've basically got a lot of our trip paid for and so we end up going to LA and we had this idea let's drive through Compton we had a convertible and let's blast Miley Cyrus like that's <laughs> kind of funny and so we do it and we posted it on snapchat and everyone's replying thinking this is hilarious like you guys need to be bloggers you need to start a youtube channel and we didn't really want to because the editing part sucks i'm sure as you know from doing podcasts like even podcasts it's like even though you don't edit but just all the stuff you have to do you have to make thumbnails or whatever
1: oh yeah even even just to convert video to audio that you can then hosts up on the site like it's the worst part of it this this is the cool part here it's the after stuff that people don't see just like in golf it's like the practice people don't see they see you go out and shoot 65 and they're like oh this is awesome
0: yeah no they think it's easy but in reality like it's it's a lot of work yeah and so kind of after that we're like all right let's uh let's start a youtube channel and so one of my first videos uh one of cam's first videos we we just started off making stupid bets. We're at the YMCA. We have a full court shot. If I make the full court shot, he has he had brown hair. He has to dye his hair completely white. And if he makes the full court shot, I got to go brown hair, completely brown. And I made the full court shot on my second throw, and he was just devastated. And so later that day, we went in. He dyed his hair white. It was hilarious. He looked like so funny. And so that's kind of where it started. And then my favorite video is so for those those of you who I've already said this, but I went to Washington State. Our rival school is University of Washington. I'm not sure if you've watched this video or not.
1: might this be your uh other bachelor's degree? Yes. It is.
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> so Cam went to University of Washington and he his brother graduated the same time he did and his brother didn't want to walk in graduation so I'm, i got i got this idea let's vlog me sneaking in getting a degree from there and let's see let's see if see if we can make it happen and so the issue was there was there's security at, at University of Washington uh, graduation cuz it's in Seattle blah 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 so i had to memorize his student id number and then i had to convince them that i'm actually Koryos, Cameron's brother, and I don't have any ID on me. So I show up and there's this place you're supposed to go if you don't have your USB card or ASB card. And so I show up and I'm like, hey, like, my name's Koryos. Like, I need a little ticket to get into graduation. Like, I forgot my wallet. My grandparents, my family's here. Like, I need to graduate. They need to see me graduate. And so they're like, sure, what's your what's your student ID number? I memorized it, give it out. They give me the ticket. I get in. So I, I get into graduation, I'm with Cam, and I'm walking across stage, filming myself the whole time, and uh, the president, the president's like, hey, congratulations, I'm sure you worked so hard for this, and I'm like, you have no idea, <laughs> sir, I worked so hard, <laughs> and long story short, I got a little thing that the diploma goes in, there wasn't actually a diploma in it, but it was the thing you hold, and uh, I got a degree from University of Washington, and uh, I posted the video on Twitter, and Barstool Wazoo retweeted it, and I started getting all this hate from UW fan accounts. It was hilarious. It wasn't really hate. It was more them making fun of me. I was like, that's the only way you could ever <laughs> get a degree from there. And I was like, that's pretty funny. But so it was, it was good. And now I'm trying to make YouTube videos. Like, honestly, if I'm being honest, like I, I like YouTube as much as I do golf. Like, it's, like, that's what I would do if I couldn't golf. But it's hard to balance them both. And so, you know, I'm trying to use – if I make it to the PJ Tour – I could be a full-time YouTuber. I'd have enough people would know who I am enough. People would follow my videos, blah, blah, blah.
1: Yeah, well, um, I'd be remiss. I'd be remiss to say if I didn't mention my son loves watching your Instagram stories and YouTube videos, especially the one yesterday at the mall. He just he he loves that. He's very excited that you were coming on the pod today. Yeah. So he'll be very very happy to hear that one. Um That's might awesome. we get something You know, like through, I know when you're going through Q school and when you're grinding, you know, you're not really thinking about the whole YouTube thing and and thinking about taking videos. Um, but might we get maybe a little bit more of an inside look at life on tour from you?
0: Yes, next season, that is my goal, whether it's through making Instagram TV or, uh, posting on YouTube more like I, that's my goal for this next year is to be way more give people more of an insight of what it's like I have some stuff from this past year um, but I was a little bit too focused on the golf which YouTube actually helps me kind of take my mind off of golf when I'm not at the court which is what you need to do
1: oh and yeah you so, can't be golf 24-7
0: no if you can't shut golf off like you're never gonna play well you're gonna be exhausted and whatever and so YouTube actually helps me do that whether it's just brainstorming ideas or doing funny interviews like I want to do an interview series and I did one video Um, I think I posted it on I think it's on my Instagram TV but where I just do funny interviews that aren't normal interviews but with these guys on Latin tour where they're not your normal questions they're things like hey here's a situation if someone paid you five thousand dollars would you hit putter off the first tee of the final round? You know, like stuff like yeah, that. I've,
1: I've, I've, uh, oh gosh, I can't recall that guy's name. Um, uh,
0: Chase Johnson. Chase, that's it. Yep.
1: And, uh, I, I love the one of being paired up with Tiger Woods and being like, would you just yeah. kick his ball off the tee? Like, hell, hell yes, yeah. I would.
0: <laughs> well, and, and that's my thing. Like, it, like, I think it would be really funny if you were a Phil Mickelson to, hey, rookies who are out on the PJ Tour or maybe someone who monday in who doesn't have much money be like, hey, I'll give you a million dollars. You're paired with Tiger. They announce his name on the first tee if you start booing him. Like, because <laughs> 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 like, I think a lot of people think that that's like, you know, it probably wouldn't go over well, but it would go viral. And the guy's yes. million dollars richer. He can, he can decide like if it's worth it for him, but I think that would be hilarious if someone like Phil who has the money Paid rookies to do funny stuff like that. Like, all right, you got to hit putter on this par three. When you know you're gonna be on TV, you got to hit high cut putter. Like, right. And I'll and, give you and guys paid to do it. Like,
1: yeah, and guys like Tiger, you know, wouldn't even be that pissed because the dude's got everything in the world when it comes to golf. You know, he'd probably no. just laugh it off. Like, uh, whatever, dude. You got to do what you got to do to get your money.
0: That's what I think. I think so too. And I think like you know, it's like that's that's funny. When have you ever? when has anyone ever booed someone on the first year that they're playing with? or like, or like, all right, I'll give you 10 K to go trash talk tiger Woods. like, <laughs> <laughs> like you, you, you wouldn't win. Like, you know, if you trash talk tiger, like he, he's, he's going to beat you. But like, yeah. it would be the funniest thing of all time. Like you go up and you start on Monday at the event, you go up to him and you just start talking trash and you're like, Hey tiger, like let's play a match this week during the tournament. Like, <laughs> You start talking trash on social media, like everyone would think it's flares. They'd be like, who is this clown? Like, that's funny.
1: For sure. Well, I'll I'll tell you what, when you make it on to the PGA Tour, I will use my media access and I will do all of that for you.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love it. I'm ready and I'm willing. Like, I can't wait. My goal is to be the biggest personality out on the PGA Tour, you know? Kind of well like, they, what, they could definitely use it. Interviews, like, it would be hilarious to make some of these interviews be like MMA fights.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, look, it, there's uh there's something to be said about personalities out there and how they shine. Like look at Pat Perez. Um, you know, look at guys even like Ricky, even though he's uh you know, kind of like a sponsorship hoe, yeah. he still has some personality out there. But there's not many of them. And and so many guys are so worried about losing or upsetting their sponsors because it's such big money um, or, or coming across differently than they than they want to to the general public, that yeah. they don't go out on a limb. And we see what happens with that. Like, look at the Kuchar debacle. Look at yep. what happened with Tiger over the last eight years. Like, they're not who you think they are. And when you have inside knowledge like you do or like I do at events, you get to see kind of who they are and then you can really pick and choose who you like as a person and who you don't
0: yeah no i agree and i think there's too many guys out there who are trying to keep their self image at a high which you know i think that's a little bit important depending on who your sponsors are but at the end of the day like you can do it in a funny way where you're not like offending people and stuff like that obviously some people will be offended but like i just think like there's a huge market out there for a golfer with a big personality who does crazy things. You know, like I think it would be hilarious to be on tour and have a bet with someone else on tour. All right. Whoever finishes last has to get a tattoo of their whole by hole scorecard or something like that. <laughs> like we had this idea with some of my buddies on the Dakotas tour this summer. Like you got 50 people to agree to this. Whoever, if you ever finish DFL dead fucking last, mm-hmm. if you ever finish dead last, you have to get your whole by hole scorecard tatted on you somewhere. I think that would be the funniest thing of all time to watch whenever someone's out there and they have their F game that week, grinding it out, trying not to get dead last. Yes, that yes. the funniest thing ever. If they had some bet like that on the PGA Tour, oh my gosh, that would be so funny and it would be so entertaining for the people.
1: And, and the thing is, you would, you would garner, especially on the PGA Tour, a big market share because everything is so whitewashed On Golf Channel or Golf TV or NBC, CBS, wherever it is, it's just you know. Even look at these guys' bios, like hobbies: sitting around watching movies with friends, watching (laughs) television, hanging out with my wife. Like all those things are awesome, but that's not a hobby, dude. Like that's just that's that's you outside of the course, like. What makes you, you? Because every single person I know likes to watch TV and sit around at times. Oh, it does not make you different.
0: 100%. And I think, I mean, do you know who Bob Mennery is? I'm sure you know who yeah, Bob Yeah, of is. course. Of course. So, so why did Bob blow up? Because everyone had always in the back of their head thought, how funny would it be if someone commentated and just roasted people? Like, didn't necessarily say good professional things. They said all the things that you're thinking and you want to hear that would be so funny, but you can't necessarily say, right. And Bob is everyone thinks Bob is one of the funniest Instagram accounts out there because he just says the funniest things. And I think like if you were in a press conference and you just like started saying funny stuff or like, Oh, let's go, uh, let's go talk trash with someone and see if they'll talk trash back. Like you're not going to have, I mean, you have to pick and choose who it is. Cause obviously some guys are, will think you're just, offensive and whatever but if you pick the right person like you guys could have so much fun creating this trash talking which then results in a 1v1 match for a million dollars whoever wants to fork up the money like like the Tiger and Phil thing when they played their match was honestly really boring like it was it, awful it, it awful television it had potential to be so good but i think you needed someone like Bob Menering out there commentating and i think you needed Tiger and Phil to fork up their own money yeah so where it's like okay they, they can lose five million dollars it's not that big of a deal to them but <laughs> let's at least make them feel some nerves like they look like they didn't care and it's like no they, they, were they nice did to each other they were like how great is this that we're doing this and it's like nobody wants to hear that like like i want you to like yell in tiger's backswing or something like let's make this like brutal yeah that's what people want to hear and i think that's where golf is going and i think golf You know, golf is in a good spot, but I think once Tiger leaves, golf's going to suffer and something has to change to make golf more like the other sports. Like every other sport, there's trash talking, every other sport, whether it's my buddy played division one football at Wazoo, he said there was the worst trash talking of all time out on the course. It's like, or out on the field. Like, why don't like bring that into golf a little bit? Like, like, I want to beat you. You want to beat me? Like, let me try to get in your head. Like you know
1: yeah if we if we're so worried about where the next generation of golfers is going to come from then we need to kind of placate a little bit towards the next generation of golfers and, and get them interested like take my 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 two kids for example one just thir- turned 13 and my other one's 10 like my 13 year old loves the game because he loves wearing the cool gear you know like new clubs flashy stuff like that it, it's yeah. not the old country club style thing where it's like, okay, don't talk on the course, you know, like he likes having music playing out there. Like I love music out on the golf course. And, and we need to, to kind of usher that in. And, and there needs to be someone on the big tour that does that. So everyone looks at it at like, okay, Hey, they do it. It must be okay.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And it's just because golf has had this history of being professional and all this stuff and i think you can still go about that that way with still being like you know semi like respectful and stuff but i think i just think golf needs to change in that aspect or it's it's gonna die out and the purses will no longer be 10 million dollar purses you know yeah because if people aren't watching that's what it comes down to at the end of the day is if people stop watching golf like the money's gonna go away less people are gonna play but if more people watch golf like you're set. It's like why is MMA or UFC so big? Like Conor McGregor, for example, made the UFC huge and he became one of the most popular fighters of all time just because of the the shenanigans off the off the arena.
1: Yeah, no it's true. I mean, you look at at there's there's different levels of being a golf fan, right? There's like a golf nerd. Like I would consider myself a golf nerd. I'm just so deeply involved in the game. Yeah. Then there are people that like to play with their buddies, and they'll watch the majors, and they'll watch the masters. And then there are people that will only turn golf on if Tiger Woods is playing or Tiger yep. Woods is winning or yep. Phil Mickelson, maybe. Those people, which is a pretty big percentage, those people are going to be gone, like you said, once Tiger leaves. So who's next to take that mantle? You know, it might be Brooks. Like, I love Brooks's personality because he just doesn't yeah, care. I
0: love Brooks. I love he, that, yes.
1: You know, but... But we're going to see how badly damaged his knee is. Like, and yep. me personally, I think all the stuff that he said about Rory is because his knee is worse off than they thought it was in the beginning. So he's just putting it out there like, hey, look, I might never win it again. But guess what, dude? Uh, I got four and you haven't won any in that time frame.
0: Yep. Nope. <laughs> I agree. I think Brooks is—he has started a trend, I guess, with being honest and pressed conferences and like calling bs like i think that's hilarious when he calls out people or whatever it is or he's just like yeah like like i'm like i, I show up to this event and i'm the most confident person here and i think he actually believes it and i think that's that's great like i think that's also hilarious too that he says that because in every other sport that's how that's how someone would act yes the only sport in the world where it's like so how you feeling about your game this week and it's like you know like the game's decent let's just we're just gonna see what happens and it's like we're such a baby like like yeah my game's great like i'm gonna go out and destroy people this week like that would be hilarious yeah
1: Yeah, but what you just did is you just describe every single press conference from the last 30 years
0: yeah and they're boring brooks is people actually listen to i mean tiger people listen to tigers because of tiger woods but like the rest of them it's like dude like at least give us some entertainment where like this video could go viral on Instagram, you know, a clip from it where you're calling someone out or something, but like, you don't see that. It's just like, you know, like the course is in great condition. I'm really excited for this week. I'm happy to be here. And it's like, dude, everyone's happy to be there. Like, come on, like switch it up.
1: Yeah. You're, you're paying, you know, you're playing for a winner's check of, of 1.2 mil. Of course you're yeah. happy. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. come on. Um, listen, tell, tell people, cause I've monopolized a ton of your time. Tell people uh the Instagram account, the YouTube account. How can they follow you? How can they subscribe? Where can they get more of Brian Mog?
0: Yes. Yeah, so first off, follow me on Instagram at Brian Mog. Just my name, B-R-I-A-N-M-O-G-G. At Brian Mog on Instagram. Uh YouTube. My YouTube channel name is Vlog Mog. B L O G G Space M-O-G-G on YouTube. And then also I recently uh made a TikTok. And my buddy Cam went viral yesterday. He made a video that had like, it's at like 1.5 million. So we're trying to go viral on TikTok. uh, But I made a TikTok the last few days. It's just my name, Brian Mog. So follow me on TikTok. Help me get some viral videos. And uh, yeah, so those are my social media pages. I have a Twitter. I don't use it that much though. So, but if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's just my name, Brian Mog. So that's where you can find me, people.
1: Very cool. And and definitely do so. I can attest that the, the content is well worth it. Also, let me give a shout out to Cam for the DM he sent me uh, this morning. <laughs> Appreciate that very much, Cam. You had some spelling errors, but we're going to let it slide, my dude. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Hopefully All right, you Brian, again. without
1: a doubt. Appreciate it, man. All right, people, so either get busy golfing or get busy dying.